0: Hi, and welcome back to Y Square Pod. Before we dive into another episode, we would like to announce our sponsor. CliffTech is a design and development company working with and for private and public sector organizations. They provide business application support, document design, business intelligence support, release management, and web design services in the UK, Europe, and here in Freetown, Sierra Leone. The services offered.
1: Email hosting.
0: Website hosting.
1: Graphics and design.
0: Networking.
1: Advertising and SEO.
0: Install and break fix.
1: They also offer website designs that works not only for your business, but that has been custom built from the start, which creates an experience for customers and visitors alike. For more information, you can visit their website at clifftech.co.uk, or email them at info at And to
0: contact them via phone, plus 232-76-73.
1: 8405 and you can visit their social media platforms on facebook instagram and twitter at cliff pro hope you enjoyed the episode bye bye
0: hello i'm yasmin metz johnson and i'm yasmin bilkas we are y square, square pod. pod welcome back to the podcast we have another conversations episode and this is episode 37 we are joined by
1: Bintu Bintu? Bintu. woo! Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Bintu Mansuray. We have a doctor in the house.
0: We do, we do. Would you like to introduce yourself, Bintu?
2: Um, yes, I will. Thank you so much, Yasmin, and Yasmin with an E for having me on. Uh, <laughs> I'm Dr. Bintu Mansare. <laughs> I am a medical doctor and an author and a researcher. I think i would stop there for now. Thank you. <laughs> okay.
0: So what, what's your story? Like, How did you decide that was the career path you were going to take, a doctor and working in health?
2: Um, I don't think it was as straightforward as others. I know other doctors say, oh, since I was a little girl or a little boy, I wanted to be a doctor. Not really. I think it was, I was a very sickly child. I was born with a suspected heart condition. So it was in and out of hospitals all the time. For me, it was not going out. It was not playing sports in school. So I hated hospitals and doctors actually. but <laughs> so I always wanted to be a lawyer and until I think I was in phone three, which is when you take the Becker exam and I like quite a lot of my friends were talking about medicine and I talked to my mom about it. And I was healthy. So at that time I started looking up the statistics for my condition because my cardiologist in Sierra Leon was Doctor Black at the time. So a lot of the children that were in my cardiac program, a lot of them died. So that got me interested in medicine. Mm. So I think it was me that I made up my mind to go into the sciences. And even then, I did not know what kind of a doctor I wanted to be. Even going to medical school, I did not know what kind of a doctor I wanted to be until fifth year. That was when in Comas, um, College of Medicine and Allied Health Sciences, Serenium, that is when we go into, say, pediatrics clinicals and OBGYN clinicals. So, doing my fifth year postings in pediatrics was when I fell in love with pediatrics and I knew I wanted to do uh, pediatrics. Basically, I want to be a doctor, even though I don't know what kind of a pediatrician, but I know I always wanted to work with kids.
1: So that was my
0: journey yeah. into healthcare. Amazing.
1: That's great. So, like, um, currently um, yeah. being a doctor in Sierra Leone, um, you know, doctors are quite limited. Like, what would you say are the further challenges that this presents to the workforce, but also the healthcare system in Sierra Leone?
2: Um, the doctors are limited because, one we have only one medical school. Mm. So that limits the intake of students into med school. So that is when the medical school is long, it's challenging. I did eight years. And during that, my friends from high school, from secondary school, would have graduated, like, multiple times over. Mm. So <laughs> it's, it's so long. And then when you finish your eight years of medical school, I did two years of house job as well which is mainly minimum wage and being a slave. So (laughs) that is also um, very difficult. After that, you have the challenges of our healthcare system. Working in our healthcare system is so stressful. Um, Yasmin and Yasmin, it's, it's not only about the pay, because most people will say, oh, the doctors are leaving because of the pay, which is why we don't have as many doctors. But sometimes it's just about practicing somewhere where you have, everything to work with, you know, where you don't have to stress about what drugs your patients get. For example, I work in pediatrics. After my house job um, ended, for the past five years, I've been working in pediatrics. So, especially with children working in government facilities, you see the very poor families coming in and them not being able to afford their drugs. It just takes a toll on you after a while. So, the Challenges we face with our human resources, we have to uh, not only compensate our doctors financially and pay them um, well, but it's also making them work in an environment where they feel like they're, they're using their expertise. Because knowing all of this test, you know, having all of this knowledge, but not being able to use it. You get people saying, oh, I was in Sierra Leone, I went to the doctor and I couldn't be diagnosed, but I went to the U.S. and the U.K., and in two weeks I got a diagnosis. Of course you'll get a diagnosis, because by the time you enter into this hospital, they take a pint of blood, from head to toe, of course the doctor will get the results and know what's wrong with you. Of course, we're always jumping. And sometimes in a in a, in some health facilities, basically all you can do is malaria or test for typhoid or or test for sickle cell. Sometimes you can't even do a full blood count. So mm-hmm. what kind of a diagnosis will you get with that? So you know you, you have an idea of what is wrong with the patients, but you can't confirm for you to be able to treat. Mm-hmm. So these are some of the mm-hmm. challenges that we go through every day and. So you you don't use your expertise as much as um as much as you want to mm, to their full potential. So, mm. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes I feel like my brain is not being used because it's malaria, it's uti, it's sickle cell. That's it. That's it. That's it. Because that's what we can diagnose. And mm. so some of the challenges to the healthcare system. That's one of them. Honestly, besides the the few numbers of doctors, if we actually use and maximize our human resource in health, you'd see that we may not have enough, but we will be able to do a whole lot of good more than we're doing now.
0: Right. So it's not even it's not necessarily a problem that we don't have doctors. We're lacking in resources more than anything.
1: I would say in addition to the doctors because yeah, there's only one medical school. Yeah. Oh yeah, which medical medical school is that? Um, College of Medical Allied and Health Sciences, Commerce. Yeah.
0: Okay. Commerce. Is, is that where you studied? Um, been to? Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, okay. that's where I did my. Um, in Sierra Leone, we get the MBCHB. Okay. It's called the Bachelor in Medicine and the Bachelor in Surgery. So that's oh. where I got my MBCHB from. Okay. And then I went and did my master's in pediatrics from the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine in the UK.
1: Um, And I came back. (laughs) As we all come back.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, eventually it's home yeah (laughs) that's true
1: um like um regarding like the healthcare um challenges in sirloans like i have a few friends who are doctors and they've said the exact same thing that you've said and uh, a lot of of them because of that i think more so because of financial um reasons and also just that level of respect you know just that human dignity a lot of them have gone into like consultancy and like um development work Uh, although that's very um important as well but like do you think that um, they both like they find a way to balance each other out, like those doctors who are in the field who are with the patients, and also those who are in development work? Do you think that it kind of still encompasses contributing to the healthcare system in Sierra Leone?
2: or do you feel like both well, are different? I'd like to say, mm-hmm. um, I'd like to say Yasmin, mean that um, I'm one of those doctors actually. Mm. Um, it has to do with. Um, in Sierra Leone, we made our healthcare system, like, so narrow. We've narrowed it for ourselves. And the young generation, we're living to go study abroad, and we see what other doctors are doing. Doctors in other countries are in research, are in pharmaceuticals, mm. are in education. Mm. They're not necessarily always in the hospitals, even though they were in the hospitals as well. Mm. So, But in Sierra Leone, they've limited us. For example, when I, I graduated from my master's, I graduated with a very good grade, I I went back to Sierra Leone, it, it was with distinction on the top of my class, I wanted to work at the Ministry of Health, um, to work in the Child Health Directorate, because that is what I studied, mm-hmm. and basically when yeah. I went to the Ministry, I was told, oh no, we don't have a place for you here, you have to go to the hospital, so that breaks you a little bit, you understand, mm-hmm. and that is something that also drives a doctors away, it's about... Um, you can't decide what my career path um, has to look like for me. Mm. Like, I'm not going to give anybody that power, you understand. It's right. about know, both of us come in. So you can use your human resource. You can maximize your human resource. You can, we can come to a compromise. So, for example, um, my PhD, like I have, opportunity to work in the violence and gender center whilst teaching whilst doing my phd so that is what sirelion has to do we still we don't have enough doctors but we have doctors who've done health system strengthening we have doctors who've done different parts of mph uh, public health so mm-hmm. what you do is bring when they come to you you decide how they split their hours so you work for thirty percent or forty percent um, in the hospitals, and thirty percent and forty percent in your field in this particular field. So you're maximizing their potential, mm-hmm. but somebody that they have to fit into the box that you want, it's not going to happen with the new generation of doctors because we know where we want to be. I know where I want to be in ten years. I'm not going to allow you to tell me where he wants me to be. You understand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that is the problem yeah. with all of these consultancies because. Doctors want to use their postgrad. Yes, we want to practice. We want to be in the hospitals. But we also know we can do so much more. Mm -hmm. And so they're basically struggling. um, You know, they're trying to find their way. And it's making it unnecessarily hard. That's what I think.
1: Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. For sure. Because if you feel like not only is your potential limited, you're not getting the respect or the prestige or you know just that basic dignity um then how do you diversify you know how do you want to grow if it's like okay all you have to do is clinical work some people don't even want to be in the clinical work this yeah has been just i guess said.
0: that's why there are so many consultancies within mm-hmm. the doctors because that's their only way out to explore and do other things than what that's what true. the hospital is offering
2: Exactly, and because when we were growing up, being a doctor in Sierra Leone just means working in the hospitals. Right. But now, as we've as we're in the field, we've seen that there's so many other things it's diverse, to do. Diverse, yeah. Why is being a doctor, and mm-hmm. you want to explore that, and it's okay. So. It should be okay.
0: You
1: know? <laughs> That's true. Do
0: you, is it looked down upon? Do you think, like people who go into well, doctors who would go into consultancies.
2: Well, in Sierra Leone, there's this, um, people want to guilt you all the time, you know, mm, we see. have this, <laughs> there's this culture of you're supposed to do what people think you're supposed to do. Right. So if you're a doctor and <laughs> well, we if you're a doctor and there are not enough doctors, so it's your fault if you're mm. not one of those doctors. Mm. So it depends if you want to live your life based on what people think, then you can be a doctor if that is what you want to do. But if you want to, uh, for me, I'm a clinician. I love clinicals, but then I've discovered a whole new world in research and I love research because it actually feeds into what we do in the hospital. It's not about giving all kids say zinc if they have diarrhea, you understand? Mm-hmm. It's about why do we give them zinc? And it's to work together. So, it's, so if you feel like, um, some people will say, oh, they're doctors, they're just doing consultancies because they want money, but if you, if you feel bad about it, then you want to go straight into as well. that's what people think you should do then fine, but if you're like me and you don't care you, your professional loyalty should be to yourself and your career path 100% I think um, you just have to tune them out and do the best you can, because at the end of the day, no matter what you do as long as you're working in Sierra Leone you're working in healthcare, you're working in anything it's for the Sierra Leonean people, it's Somehow, you're still contributing to developing.
0: Definitely. Um, Bintu, as a doctor in child health, and you're a mother as well. How do you find being a mother in Sierra
2: Leone? It's scary. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so scary. It's, <laughs> it's so scary. I must say, um, with my I have two girls. With my older girl, I wasn't really stressed because she was a healthy little girl i do everything i give her her prophylaxis malaria medicines, and all of that And then my second child is a difficult one she was born with respiratory they call it laryngomalacia but we'll just say she was born with great difficulties so let me tell you i am said i was scared i my husband and I had to have everything at home. I had to stop doing on calls, which was a whole other um, problem because the breathing difficulties are worse at night, and I want to be there. Of course I want to be there. I have to put my daughter first, at some point. So I'm permanently scared because I live in a country where we don't have a pediatric ANT. Right. So, um, Dr. Sogo Williams has been helping. I've been getting consultations from Dr. Um, Cabine as well. So, currently it's COVID, so she's been able to have consultations with her doctor in the U.S. But it's terrifying. It's scary, especially if you have a child with a condition. If it's a healthy child, of course, they get their malaria or their little cold. If it's a healthy child, but if you have a child with a condition that needs that extra it's really scary and terrifying i must stay as a doctor and as a mother uh it's hard but we are hoping for the better especially in children's health and a lot of doctors are trying i know people blame doctors but we have amazing doctors that are doing so well that are going out of their way to ensure that the healthcare is better but there's this new um, child health um, consortium by a group of pediatricians at Lightfoot, Boston Streets, um the World Body Peking Clinic, they're doing amazing work. And of course Jelly Katu. we all know Jelly yeah, and her passion cool. for eye health. So there are doctors that are trying and doing their best. So we just have to hope Okay that's great. Yeah um, that the, we have the support from the government. Yeah. Agreed.
1: Okay. That's true. Um so like in your opinion, um in line with the vision for twenty thirty Uh, What do you think of the biggest issues, um, health issues, that we should address in
2: Sierra Leone? Um, Finances, um, resources. Health is expensive, and we live in a country where a lot of people are poor. So universal health coverage is the only way to go. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And for us to have universal health coverage, it means a national health insurance scheme that will be mainly fruited by the government So, if we can't do that, if people are supposed to pay exorbitant from out of pocket, we won't get there. They just can't afford it. So, you know, if adults are sick, you would be like, oh, okay, probably they just don't want to spend money. But when their children are sick, when their kids are sick, you know, those parents will do anything for that child and they just don't have the money. They don't have it. So, unless we have, which was why, no matter what anyone says about the free health care, I think that was an amazing initiative. For me, that was the best thing the previous government did. And um, it has a lot of challenges. There are a lot of things missing. But just being able to come to the hospital with your child under five, being able to be admitted in the hospital for free, being able to be a health care worker, a doctor, a nurse, or a community health officer for free, that is huge. That is a big deal. So, if we want to actually change the healthcare landscape in Sierra Leone for 2030, the government has to strongly think and implement universal health coverage.
0: Agreed, definitely. Um, how how best do you believe in Sierra Leone we could go about protecting children or the safety of children, as as well as the um, the healthcare of them.
2: Wow, because I work for the past two years. I've been working in child protection and safeguarding. I've been working with Rainbow on um, sexual violence. The problems are a lot. The problems are social. We have kids, as long as kids have trees on their heads and selling on the streets, they're going to be at risk. It's like a twofold or threefold increase. We need to do research on that, obviously. But children who sell, children who go out to fetch water at night, they are at an- Increased risk. Children who live in these houses called, um, they, they call it the a journey. I really don't know the way to name. How would you translate <laughs> that? Yeah, face me, I face you, as skin can say. <laughs> um, those, those children in those houses are an increased risk. I can tell you the number of cases I get that are from these, you know, um, demographics that these social factors contribute to. So if we're serious about child protection if we're serious about keeping our girls safe our children safe because boys are also getting abused providing a social net because mm-hmm. it's easy to say um i want to say children shouldn't bear the economic burden of their families it comes mm-hmm. from a place of privilege mm-hmm. so i'm not gonna say that it's up to the government and the social welfare and the gender and children's ministries to ensure that kids are kept safe because no matter what we say the cases are increasing the cases are not going down because the same social factors are still there we're doing a lot of sensitization there's been a lot of awareness raising but the social factors are still there the families are still poor Mm
1: -hmm. that's not Mm -hmm.
2: changing the the cultures are still there so as much as we're fighting medically and legally we've tried. like Just in the space of two years, 2018 to now, we've tried. But when it comes to the community level, so I think the fight should go to the communities now and the fight to go to providing um, social nets. And a lot of this sexual abuse and within families as well. We can't ignore that. So that is where the community sensitization comes into play. and. But it's a tough one. It's very, very complicated. I know a lot of people think it's straightforward, like we arrest the perpetrators and we lock them up and the children will be safe. No, But the issues are still there. So unless we address those fundamental issues that that are basically detrimental to our children, it would be a long and hard road. Agreed, agreed.
0: You said a word, you said um, a lot of the kids are in a a journey is that what you said (laughs) that's how i don't
2: know the english word but how
0: how would you how would you translate that?
2: yes i mean one without an e (laughs) yeah (laughs) how would we call that you know like these houses where a lot of families live in the same house Mm -hmm. people just have like Some families just have a bedroom and a living room, a bedroom and a living room. They share public spaces like the kitchen, the outside toilet, Mm -hmm. you know. Okay, so just
1: communal households, right? Like, in Korea, we go to like one parlor, you know, like self-contained. Is is that what we say? Um, Yeah, so like, um, more or less. Small space, but a
0: a lot of people occupying that space. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's usually the case. Mm
1: So um, so uh, from transitioning from the health sector, you're also an author, um, a nerdy author. Woo-hoo. Yes, uh, and this book, <laughs> I really hope that it um reaches a lot of children. So, what would you say uh, attracted you to writing? What drew you to writing?
2: Um, as I said, I was a well, I'm a, an introvert, which <laughs> is really hard to believe when I'm online and I feel safe. <laughs> um. feel safe blasting on social media but i hate social groups i hate going out but basically because of i said when i was really young growing up um i was just indoors most of the time not taking part in sports so i read i read a lot of books so i started writing stories actually in 2017 while i was doing my masters that was just something to um keep me busy writing stories for children um health stories actually because As I said, I work with kids, and and they ask a lot of questions. They're really, really smart. And they ask really tough questions as well that sometimes I can't even answer. One is, my next book is on malaria, and a question I always get is they ask me, how did I get malaria? I'm like, a mosquito bit you and gave you malaria. How did the mosquito get malaria? Or the mosquito bit somebody else who has malaria. So how did that, you know, the questions are unending. So my book's basically, um, I was thinking it's about... Explaining those things to kids, so I have a lot of little stories written. Not 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 really on COVID. No one knew COVID was coming. I just decided to get the COVID one out first because well, it's COVID, mm-hmm. and my three year old is obsessed with washing her hands because she's seen it on TV. Oh, wow. my, other books, <laughs> my other books are on malaria, sickle cell, diabetes. You know the common um, things and not so common things we see in the hospital. Um, cardiac disease, because of my history with cardiac disease, it, it's very hard to explain to little children why they can't play with their peers, and pickle cell, because it's really common and it's really debilitating for children. They don't understand why they're always hurting. It breaks my heart when I see those kids. So
0: mm-hmm.
2: that is why um, I actually started writing those stories.
0: Mm. Amazing. So th- this is your first book, Amy and the Safe Keepers Project, Defeating the Coronavirus. Do you think you'll be doing yeah. sequel books?
2: Yes. Um, the next book is the same Amy and the Safe Keepers Project, Ooh. but it's after the mosquito bite.
0: So ah, what happens after the nice.
2: mosquito bite? <laughs> so, and it's more. It's a little bit different from this first one. It's, more, it's a story throughout. So... Um, so the kids have to pick out um, the symptoms, the causes, and, mm-hmm. and the prevention. Mm-hmm. There. And I, what I did with Ami was at the end of the book, there are coloring pages, like activities for the kids. But my kids, um, I noticed the range of the age group of the kids buying the books on Amazon. They're mostly six, seven-year-olds that um, are buying the books, and I'm getting feedback from them. So they're not really doing coloring pages. For this next book, um, After the Mosquito Bike, I have puzzles, oh, crossword amazing. puzzles and word search mm-hmm. for the kids. So they have to find mm-hmm. words from the story. Like, it's like a question, um, what kind of a mosquito causes malaria? So you have to find the word Achilles and stuff like that. So...
0: That's um, that's such a great idea that you're keeping the books interactive, not only reading, but right. And as
1: a series, Ami is going along this journey yeah. of like tropical health. Yeah. Um. But actually, I do have a, yeah. a doctor related question now that you brought it up. Um. So okay, in school we learned that the female mosquito, the Anopheles one, right, is the one that transmits malaria. Yeah. But the male one is the yeah. one that transmits um elephantiasis. But I've not heard like I mean apart from like you, you don't say we can see people in go we'll say. Or in foods, you know, in Kantenendi, but I've not, unless like the one-off like cases I've heard about or seen, we don't really see people like diagnosed with elephantiasis. So is it more like in the tropics that we have the female mosquito or 9 like blood pass? Like, what's the deal with the the male to female
2: no,
1: mosquito ratio?
2: Elephantiasis is. Elephantiasis is actually um, diagnosed um, basically in the. In the regions if you go upline people anyway get elephantiasis so yes me mm, okay in, in the, well you know um there have been these campaigns to give drugs that prevents um elephantiasis so mm. government has been doing a lot of camp- campaigns okay you know, to um, prevent the drugs have been given for free and people have been taking it but upline if you go you this is people like elephantiasis, we, um, still get some, but I don't get, it, it has preventive therapy that works.
1: Okay. Like malo-
2: okay. If you're living in, and they're mixed earlier, prevention doesn't really make sense if you're above, if you're no longer an infant, mm-hmm. you know, so, but for um, elephantiasis, albendazole, evamectin, they work, and WHO has been very, like, strict with making sure those drugs are available
1: okay, and with, okay.
2: The, with the anophilus it's so very common it's everywhere the girl mosquito that's how i call it in the <laughs> <most>. <laughs> so the, the girl mosquito is very mean mm. it's so hard for us to eradicate it so yeah that's why we have more um, malaria.
0: okay i understand um, now we know um this is the last question bintu um we wanted to know does
2: anybody inspire you so i have different mentors for my different things Mm -hmm. if i must say so different people who inspire me i try to keep my people who inspire me to local people because um our stories are similar Mm or we have similar Mm -hmm. things. so somebody who has inspired me in my research journey especially is Mm ajawari she's amazing and when i look at gender and sexual it's Dr. Ibrahim, Dr. Aisha Ibrahim. I emailed her, um, yes, who I am, and I think that's any dance. And also, when it comes to medicine, um, there was Professor Abiodu, who basically made me think about being a pediatrician, and when I was doing my house job, Dr. Michael, he was amazing. So I've had this, I have these different people based on who I'm looking to be, um, well, um, where I want to be. And when I did my master's, my supervisors were amazing, Professor Sally like actually still on top of my career, still giving advice. But there are so many different people who, who um, inspire me and who I want to make proud, if it makes sense. Yeah, and yeah. I'm I'm good. Good. Yeah, besides my family, my mom and my husband, I can't do anything without those two. Um, Currently, I'm starting my PhD, and I can't even look at my kids. My mom just moved into my house to ensure that everything is going on well. Mm -hmm. My husband, when I say, oh, I want to start doing this, all he does is how can I help. Like, You know, he's always there, always ready for my crazy ideas. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's been good.
2: That's great. I really, I like
0: how all the people that inspire you are local as you said mm-hmm. they're not people who you idolize
1: like celebrities right and, and her support system are people close to her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as it should be
0: well thank you very much Bintu it's been great having you on the podcast yes
1: thank you so much for your time
0: is there any uh, socials or anything you'd like
1: to share And you talked about the upcoming book but we always allow our, our guests to plug any um, upcoming or any ongoing um, venture that they have so if you want to talk about any of your projects or, you know, your digital presence, just, just plug feel yourself. Feel free. Go and all your on. social media, your website, feel free. That's what we're here Yay. for. Yay!
2: So, um, so that's good. That's free um, advertisement. Yes. Right. My website is www, right, it's Um, Their parents can have more, as I said, every book activities, mm. And so you can have more. their PDF versions that you can just download and print and do more of okay and my books for anyone you buy you oh i forgot to say something exciting so for anyone Mm. you buy um a sierra leonean child gets one free yeah Um, um, yeah so i talked to yakama and she's willing to um because she already has her networks there's Mm -hmm. no point me finding networks so when um by december when i've done enough sales, then I'll give these free books to Yakama to share with her network. Okay. something I did, which made the number of books I can share less, is I've made Braille versions for blind kids. Oh. I'm so excited about that. That's Yay. amazing. Yay. Yeah, but so <laughs> I visited the blind school, and they don't have books, only oh. the ones given to them by the ministry. So anyone who has, who wants to give children books don't forget the blind kids they also want to read books, of not just read books of so oh, I made nice. 100 real copies wow. and they have been delivered so I'm so excited about that and um so the new book after the mosquito it will be out soon Yeah. and it's already done the editor is going over the last few changes mm-hmm. so it will be printed and it will be out soon and don't forget to buy so that we can share and um Something else. Um, uh, uh, an article I will well, have been published in the BMJ. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. that is exciting. Oh, um, I'll share it in my... I'm now an academic so those things are exciting for whoop me. Whoop. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll share that as well.
0: Okay, please um, go. Yeah. And your socials? And where your can, social, yeah. Where can, where people, can people find, find you? you?
2: Um, Army and the Safekeepers Project is on Twitter, okay. it's on Facebook, it's on instagram so if i'm here, the Safety Bus project you can find them on twitter facebook and instagram and obviously you go on my website bitumansari.com you'll see under the kids section mm-hmm. you'll see um printables for the books that's it
1: okay great and what about your social media accounts
2: mine um it's just bitumansari it's so boring <laughs> uh, and, um, <laughs> On Facebook, it's <laughs> on Facebook, it's Bintu Mansare and it's uh, the picture is, a, because there are lots of Bintu Mansaris. it's a tombstone of the, the uh, doctors who died during the Ebola. So you okay. see like, like a little um, tombstone with candles. And on Twitter, it's Bintu Mansari 9. Mm-hmm. And on Instagram, it's Bintu Mansare. And LinkedIn it's Beautiful <laughs> <laughs> Man so, so, yeah. Great, consistency, right. that's good. And you can
1: find and you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at YSquarePod. Thanks for tuning in.
2: Bye guys.